see the divergence in time. What did Q do in the past when he turned our world into a polluted, totalitarian nightmare? Friend, then foe, and now. Answer the question. What did Q do? A temporal rescission. A single change. What was it? When was it? Calculating. 2024. That is the when, where is the where? Calculating. Earth. The change in the timeline originates there, in Los Angeles. Calculating. There is someone there to help. A watcher. Seek the watcher. Mrs. Winter. Los Angeles, that's got to be our destination. We cannot live in this reality. If we want to save the future, then we have to repair the past. I'm afraid my cursory review of Confederation briefs made no mention of any time travel capabilities. The tech here seems similar to our own, albeit with a slightly more. Boy, that torture device really looks like it's gonna hurt, kinda looks. So, what do we do? Well, there are cruder methods of time travel. Uh, star's gravitational pull, uh, a slingshot maneuver at warp to generate a temporal fissure. Kirk's Enterprise did it on more than one occasion. But for that, you need an intelligence that can isolate the divergence and microshift for any chronotonic radiation. They had Spock. And we have her. Hello, and welcome to Trick This Out Podcast. My name is Suki, and with me today, I have Lindsay and Andrea, and we are going to be discussing Picard, Season 2, Episode 2, Penance. Now, before we start, uh, let's have, is there any news? Uh, Strange New Worlds trailer. Um, bit of a, an unusual one, I think. Um, I don't yeah. know. I'm quite excited about the show. I just think the trailer was a bit of an odd choice. Yes, just, I, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Don't you think it was just a bit weird just seeing a load of planets and only the back of their heads, and that's about it, really? Uh, maybe, I mean, it looked visually interesting, but other than that, it just a bit, looked a bit bland to me. So there are a couple of things that threw me. Like one, I don't think it worked particularly well as a trailer. Like it, it just felt like a bit of random stuff put together with a strange, strange voiceover. Um, it also had a bit of a generations feel. I think anytime you put a Star Trek captain on a horse, like it takes me to generations. I'm like, <laughs> what is it? In, in the snow with a beard, though. Uh, there's bonus points for being in the snow with a beard. I like, felt no, like. I felt like shirtless Spock was fairly gratuitously thrown in there. Um, that was like thirst trapping some viewers, I think. Well, Anson Mount is a very good looking man. There's no doubting it. But I think my bigger concern, having watched that, was it felt like a trailer for a series that has an overriding plot arc. Yeah. Also, do you think it's going to be an ongoing arc? It's not going to be episode of the week? Well, I, I just... I'm I'm slightly I could be wrong. It could just be that that's the kind of trailers they make these days. But it felt like 
you know, there was some great graphic of something that felt like a big bad. There was like big bad music. We'll see. We'll see. They have, they have been saying. I like the, from the bits where you could get a feel for the shore. I think it had a bit of a, it had that little bit of a TOS kind of, I mean, it didn't look like it particularly because it looks like a modern shore, but there was just something like, there was enough sort of nostalgic kind of, I don't know how, I'm not doing a very good job of articulating myself here, but it just, it felt like, it fits its time period, I think, is what I wanted to say there. It felt like it kind of belongs in that that time where, where everything's quite new and different. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still really looking forward to it, but I do think it was slightly oddly edited trailer. Um, I don't know what it was trying to say to us. Yeah. No, no, you, I, I'm not sure exactly what they're going for there. I think they're maybe trying to familiarise uh, the viewers as to what, what's going to be happening that much but for that sort of teaser trailer i'd like to see more of the crew the interactions and more action basically but it just seemed to be uh let's see was it a bit arty vistas farty? and that's about yeah arty yeah. farty yes yeah, I wanna arty say it's arty, it was arty farty which i think a lot of modern trailers try to be but yeah um it, it was unusual i also keep coming back to this idea that they're like you know the voiceover was all about you know strange new worlds or, or, or meeting new species or there being somebody else out there all is like a fancy you know where these are stories we tell but it's all a fantasy until it's reality and i'm like but strange new worlds isn't the first start like it's not the earliest star trek and like i keep feeling like they keep clashing up against this i'm like but enterprise has done like the actual we're going out for the first time thing but that's not what strange new worlds is it's the first Enterprise, though, isn't it? Sort of chronologically, it's like, and for a lot of people, and the Enterprise, like, do you know what I mean? Well, it's, yeah. It's, it's not the first Enterprise, because Enterprise is literally called Enterprise. I know, but like, it's like the one we know, because that looks different, doesn't it? And like, for the sort of non-Trekkie viewer, that sort of TOS iconic ship is like the, is the beginning of the story for a lot of people, isn't it? That's what they know. And I think they're trying to pull in that crowd of casual. Like my parents have never seen Enterprise, but they would know, like they could name all the crew from TOS and, and, and that era, and they would recognise the uniforms. And like it's probably more culturally kind of iconic, if you know what I mean. Like outside of yeah, outside of our world where we all know what that is and we know how it fits in the timeline and, and we, we get those Easter eggs when someone says the name Archer and all the rest of it. But I just think for that like sort of big jaw public, I don't know, I, I think that they're trying to play to that wider crowd. I, I just think it's a strange choice to be like, oh, and it's our first time going out into the start. I'm like, no, it's not. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> I, like, I, I really hope I'm going to love it, though. Like, I hope it is more episodic and I hope that... That, like you know we do get all of this crew coming together to feel special and shiny the only other bit of news of that or would like to say is that i don't I can't remember if we discussed it last week or not but picard has actually finished filming uh season three which went they filmed season two and then season three back to back basically and season three has finished filming because uh michelle heard or jerry Rome. I think it's Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan put out a tweet saying that was a, that's a wrap on the um, 
the the film in a Picard. So uh, if they are going to go forward with a Cristobal Rios uh, based uh, Star Trek show, you never know. That's what I'm hoping for. Anybody? I, well, I'm I am not hoping for that. I don't think, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Agnes Girati as his uh, sidekick, I think it'd be great. I think we need to know where they end up at the end of the series. You might get killed off by the end of the series, never mind the end of next series. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. A, a non-Picard Picard spin-off, I think I'm vaguely open to, but I wouldn't necessarily choose it to be Rio Central centric. Right. Okay. Uh, is any more? Any more for any more? No. Okay. Let's uh, let's have your first uh, thoughts on this episode two, Penance, Star Trek, Picard. So let's go with Andrea. Right. Uh, well, I loved last week's and I feel like somebody is making Star Trek for me. Um, and I know there are lots of very demanding people in the world who expect all Star Trek to be made for them. And I'm not that person. Um, but I do feel like this is ticking all of my boxes. Um, Q is one of my favourites. I like time travel plots. I like the Borg. I like Marie Universe episodes. And although it's not exactly that, I think this is the closest we've ever seen, sort of certainly in in sort of in, in film terms. I know the, the stuff in comics and stuff that we've seen characters like Picard and Seven in that situation. Um, I like the ships. Um, I like the fan service. I think there's plenty of Easter eggs in there without it kind of detracting from the plot. Um, this is the most excited I've been about Star Trek probably since Discovery Season 1. Um, so I do feel like somebody said, Andrea, what would you like in a Star Trek series? And just made it for us. So I am so, 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 so happy. Um, it, it's going to be 100% positive for me. Good, good. Lindsay? What are you smiling for? I don't, I don't know. I'm dreading the smile here for some reason. I don't know. It's, it's not a vindictive smile. We'll discuss oh, those later. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it too. I, I suspect I'm perhaps not quite quite so excited as Andrea, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it and I'm super excited about the rest of the season. Okay. So, myself, I I really did like this episode. And, and as Andrea says, there's a lot of Easter eggs there for all, all these people that uh, want to be remember the old shows. Uh, the, the actual thing, uh, the storyline going forward here, it looks interesting as well. It's got time travel. The fact that all our regular familiar characters, I know it's only season two, but regular familiar characters are in this really alien environment, but it's also slightly familiar, um, which brings uh, uh, great joy to me to see how they're interacting and coping how they're uh, doing in this environment and I just think it's uh, I think this was a great great episode right let's go big deep in this so what do you think of these new personalities not the personalities the new uh, the personas that they are in this alternate timeline you could say alternate timeline uh, so like you got like um, seven is the president earth president uh, go on links yeah, oh, I was about to say, I, I think we kind of almost need to start by acknowledging the fact that this feels very mirror universe. Like, I know it's an alternate timeline, but it's very mirror universe. Um, and I was thinking about it all the way through. And then particularly when you get like Cisco is like admiral in charge of the Confederacy slash Confederate, like, art, like it all was just like, Cisco. yeah, like, 
it was almost like literally everybody we came across was like some kind of evil version of themselves. Go ahead, Andrea. In this timeline, does that mean the people in the Murray universe are all like nice and peace loving and like diplomatic? And like, is this like the complete like turning it on its head? Like, which is why like string theory, I think it's string theory, the one that says like every time you make a decision, like time splits or multi university or yes. whatever it is. Um, makes my head explode because every time somebody makes a decision like I was like my, my maths brain can't cope with how many alternate realities that leaves you with. See uh, me and Andrew just before we started the actual recording we were talking about the Adam Project which is a Ryan Reynolds film and that's also about time travel going back and seeing some uh, in your past and splitting off and they had a sort of explanation in there which was quite uh uh, unique because I've not really read read or heard about that. I just wonder if that's the same sort of thing here. But uh, yeah, it's the the whole is it uh, a mirror universe, alternate universe? It's just complicated. But it's just nice seeing these in this sort of thing. Go on, Andrea. I was just going to say, I think the thing that I really kind of picked up from this episode is it was really exciting to see almost as close to the kind of Picard and the Murray universe and what he would be like and seeing Seven and what she would be like. Um, I've got lots of things to say about Seven's life in the uh, in in this timeline. I think what really stood out for me is how much I warmed to the characters that were introduced for the Picard show. Um, because I think in season one, you kind of cling to your safety people. It's like, well, we know Seven and I know what she's about and we know Picard and we know what he's about. But actually, I was kind of as fascinated to see what had happened to everybody else. And I think over the course of this episode, um, like just how much those characters have grown on me. Um, and, and Gerardi, like I didn't particularly like her in season one. Um, I struggled with her. Um, and I've really kind of, over the course of this episode, I've thought, actually, that's quite a good character. And there were lots of little beats in there that I really, really enjoyed. Um, the fact that she's absolutely shitting herself and isn't cool. Like, it's almost like Seven wakes up and kind of does a, a kind of checks. Am I dreaming? Like, can I think? Like, I'm definitely awake. Where am I? Like, I'm going to work out what's happening. Who's this? Like, Picard kind of gets his head round it. And how it was amazing how Patrick Stewart just kind of fell into that convincing general character. Yes. Um, I, I think there was a lot of acting fun. I think him and John Delancey have had a, quite a good time making this. Um but yeah, like, like someone like her, you know, she she's not Starfleet. She's worked in a lab. She's been in the Daystrom Institute, like working with robots. Um, she's not trained for these situations. Um, and the fact that she's like, oh crap, what's happening? And like puts her foot in it and stuff. Um, but then can kind of pull it out of the bag because she's really clever. Um, I think as a character, this is the first time I've really kind of thought, yeah, I'm rooting for you a little bit, Lindsay. She's extreme chilly in this episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, somebody has mentioned that. I, I I haven't I've have, I watched it quite late so I haven't I've been quite assiduously avoiding our, our feedback um, but I just I was like it's interesting and I think she does it really well and I love the fact that her her lying is sort of rambling and like convoluted and, and therefore people are just like what I can't even write whatevs and move on like I, I like it feels very in character but I just got such strong Tilly vibes particularly again Tilly in the MU like when she's trying to play Captain Kelly like it's it's all just a bit kind of like oh right yes I'm evil I know how to play evil okay. The uh, the, the thing with the uh, Gerati as well in the first episode first season she came as quite cross as sort of unlikable and then she went on a killing spree where she went and killed a boyfriend and a, some 
some other guys as well, I think so. And then she's this first episode, she's then forgiven and uh, told it was some sort of mental breakdown that caused her to do it. Okay, fair play. And now she, her character sort of evolved into this dotty, eccentric uh, scientist. Uh, so it makes it more likable and fun. And maybe that's the whole reason of making it because all the other characters are quite serious in this show. They need this comic uh, comic put, uh, character in there to be able to bounce off of the other characters. Go on, Andrea. I was just going to, I'm really sort of backing up what you're saying, Sucky, because I think the episode um, is a really dark, heavy episode in a lot of ways. And I think you just needed that. You needed that little bit of light in there. Um, I, I think it was it was well done. It was just the right amount. Um, but yeah, as, as someone who uh, I have been told that I talk a lot when I'm nervous, um, and I can relate to that trait. Um, and yeah, she's not just you know she, she talks a lot to cover up the fact that she's like absolutely petrified. Um, but she's not a ditzy idiot, and and she saves the day realistically. Um, you know that they, they were all. Um, they're all in deep shit without her this week. So she's not just there as the comic relief, um, but I do think we needed that light. Lindsay? Uh, can we talk about Spot 73 or whatever it oh. is? <laughs> now, uh, did I see a thing that said that that was Patton Oswald? That was Patton Oswald. Love nonsense <laughs> like that. <laughs> right, so I thought that was going to be, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the actor's name? Brent Spiner. I thought it was going to be, is it Brent Spiner? Do you mean the guy who plays Data? Data, yeah. Yeah, that's Brent Spiner. Yeah, Brent Spiner. I thought it was going to be Brent Spiner, but it, it, the voice character, it wasn't. And I, when I looked it up, it was Patton Oswalt. But apparently Brent Spiner is in the episode uh, uh, as an uncredited voiceover. Now, if you go to, there's uh, some scenes where uh, it's just before Eradication Day starts and they're setting up a scene and they see this hologram in the middle of the uh, uh, San Francisco Bay, whatever it is, and it's Adam Song, right? And it's uh, whoever's doing the voiceover there is Brent Spiner as Adam Song. So he was in the episode. So that's a little... Brent uh... Spiner is literally everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Spot as a character, it's, it's interesting that, again, I mean, we're going back to Jarty. Jarty hasn't got any friends, and she has, she's had to create uh, this... Uh, uh, cartoon characters to be able to interact with and Rios says it later on as well you can't interact with humans but you can you can do quite well with synthetics and cat creatures you know some, uh, whatever they were like so yeah she's like she's that sort of person means so uh, just speaking about synthetics I had this revelation uh, so just for context I watched this episode live with a friend and the pair of us just sat on uh, whatsapp and sent messages back and forth all the way through um which is what I'm now referencing for my nose, so apologies. Um, but I had this revelation quite early on in this episode that I, I know I'd spoken about at the end of last episode how old Patrick Stewart seemed to be playing Picard. But we learn in this episode, like Q talks about him being in the body of this other man. So he's not synthetic anymore. He is. He's like, no. He's, he is. No, he's he not. Is. He is. It says General Martok. Uh, was resp uh, not just Golden Cat was responsible for you being in the synthetic body. Oh, what? Then it yeah. makes no sense. I'm confused again. It, oh, no, it does actually say uh, when they're, they're, they're showing the skulls, he points out General Descartes and he goes, and he 
him being responsible for you being in this synthetic body. I, I would totally miss that line. I was too busy looking at Ferengi and going, I thought it yeah. was all cartilage, but apparently you have bone in your ears. Galdicott. Executed in the Ithian forests, just outside the capital city, put up a hell of a fight. In this reality, he's the reason you have that nifty synthetic body. Uh, Andrea, can, can we talk briefly? Because that, like, there was like school to cut, um, talk, the um, the Ferengi who we can speculate could be could be one of a, a couple of people. Um, it was like a fucked up guess who game, wasn't it? Like yeah. that, and that's those you know, I mentioned before about those that just enough fan service, just enough Easter eggs. Um, it's not detracting from the plot. It, it it kind of says something about the character, so it's got a reason. But what I kind of I love stuff like that. Mm. I, I really I really kind of I was like wow. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I was quite keen yeah. on that. That, and, that was a great. And that, see, I, I also like the fact that John Delancey he said something about let's go through a mirror darkly as he opened the doors into there, and I was like oh. And, and, right. and, and, there were, there know, were a lot of episode titles. Yeah, yesterday's episode was the other one. Uh, which is which is a perfect one to reference when you think about the plot of, of yesterday's enterprise. Um, it, it very much kind of fits in with what's going on a little bit. Um, the the other thing about when that scene where the scores is, I was wondering what they were because the stargazer. It's it's a it's a positive title. It's something about being going out there and exploring. And now Picard in this timeline. I was wondering what his ship was going to be called. And when they came with the title World Razor, I thought, yeah, it's quite close to what a Stargazer is. But the fact that it's a World Razor, destroyer of worlds, I thought, OK, that's a great way of uh, making people know that this is the title of that ship. So if I have any criticism of this episode, and it's minimal, let's face it, because we love it, because it's great. <laughs> um, it is that this is so closely aligned with what we know of the Mirror Universe. Like, it... it it felt a bit cheaty, like this idea that there is a version of the Federation that is not a Federation, it's 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 a, an evil empire. I love the fact that it's called the Confederation slash Confederacy. I feel like that's like peak left-wing Trek and I love it. Um, and the fact that, you know, all the, the ships do have imperialistic names and everybody's titles are more military and it is all about alien extermination and, you know, a safe world as a human world. Like, all of those are very much um, Terran Empire things. And we've mm. just recreated that in this version. Um, and Go ahead, Andrea. I was just going to say, is that more a sort of, you know, you've, you've kind of mentioned that, that sort of left-wing trek. Is it almost a, a sort of commentary on how close we are to going in that direction? Like we kind of teeter, like... It, it doesn't take a big leap, I don't think, for things to go down that road rather than go down that optimistic, diplomatic, let's be friends with, with everyone who turns up. And let's face it, if the if the aliens landed currently, like, fucking hell, like, it, it's not going to end well for them, is it? Like, or it's not going to end well for us. But it's, I, I, I think I, I, we're not ready for that um, as a species. We, we kind of get on with ourselves, like, never mind anybody else. Um, but I, I definitely think that you look at like race issues and stuff. We, 
we're not a million miles away um, as, a, as a sort of as a civilization we, we kind of hang in the balance and I wonder if there's a little bit of a commentary as how easy it would be to go down that road rather than another the thing uh, I was just thinking when you're saying that it just ain't going to take that much to keep uh, you know take us off course basically it does say it's only taken one there's one event that's the causes which is in 1984 LA lost Los Angeles, and there's one per, one thing that's actually caused this event to to clear off what is familiar Star Trek universe into this alternate timeline, and that's all it's taken. One event, one thing that's done. Go on, Lynch. Because apparently, all I'm going to talk about in this episode is Enterprise. It's changed from Voyager. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's great about the Intermare Darkly episodes of Enterprise is you get the equivalent history in the credits. And that's effectively what they talk about. Like it, it, it all goes back to that one thing being different. And like I, I totally get that. I just think for me, there's so much value in showing evil wears many different cloaks. And maybe they could have had a, a version of humanity that were, you know, super polite and organised on the front, but also deeply evil. Like I, I just like. We just keep, anyway, never mind. Like I say, I love this episode. I really do. It is a really minor criticism, but it just, it felt so MU that I was like, well, if you're going to do this, why not just do Mirror Universe? No, because Mirror Universe has probably been done to death. Having an alternate but timeline. What, but, it's, it, but it's just the Mirror Universe and yeah, like, labelled as an yeah, alternate timeline. Because that's, yeah, but, but that's all the MU is, is that something changed and we went on a different path. That's what the Mirror Universe is. Andrea. I suppose the issue with doing Murray Universe is that there is a version of Picard in that universe. Um, so your plot changes slightly because he's had to kind of pretend to to, to know what's happening and, and be that guy. But if they went to the Murray Universe, that guy would be there. So I suppose that in logistic terms also creates an additional layer of complication because then you you either have to put all of those characters out of commission or... You've got to have two of them. Um, I, like I do, I do get that, and I do get that. Like this is, the, and this is only a starting point. I think the, we can talk about the pacing of the episode later on. I think, but and I love, and I, I thought it was really interesting. I thought that that conversational piece between Q and Picard at the start, when they're kind of shaping out what this is and why it's happened, like angry Q, and then like vindictive Q, was like fascinating because that's mm. he's been derisory and he's he's done a lot of mocking. But the level of like vindictiveness um, was was quite striking, and obviously there is also the blow, which yeah. seems to have caused a lot of controversy. Andrea, so I've been kind of thinking about this sort of context of Q because Q is clearly he's not his usual self, is he? Um, Q's always turned up and just been a bit of a dick, really, hasn't he? He's like he's sort of got playful malevolence that's sort of worst or best, depending on how you look at it. Um, I suppose he was slightly more menacing in his first appearance, um, but that was a long time ago, and almost they've kind of built this relationship over time where he turns up and he's like, a lot of Q episodes became quite fun and quite light. Um, you know, this isn't Cupid. Um, his appearances in Voyager again were, were a lot more lighthearted. He was, he was a lot more sort of a almost a friendly character who turned up he'd be a bit of a knob but basically like he wasn't trying to do anyone wrong um and 
Is it a case that Q's, you know, he says you run well? Is it because in this timeline he's different because everything else is different? Um, I don't know. It, the, you know, we've got that link to discovery. You know, they're saying we haven't heard from the Q in, in a few hundred years. Um, is that tied in somehow loosely? Um, I don't know, but I, I think that was really interesting because I think that's the most... That's the meanest we've ever seen him, even compared to his first appearance. I was thinking he is he is a lot harsher in a lot of ways. He comes across as a lot more cruel, um, but not how he did in this. So I, I don't know what's going on with him, but I think maybe we need to to kind of explore that a bit more. Lindsay? I think we also need to remember that talking about Q is a bit like talking about Doctor Who. Like his timeline, there's no guarantee that his timeline is the same as our timeline. Like we don't know when this version of Q is from because we know he drops around in time he's, and space and stuff he's omni was it was it omnipresent so he's everywhere basically so he maybe he's familiar with all the alternative timelines uh mirror universe timelines he's that sort of creature that he's aware of but because this is now uh affected maybe the Q continuum wherever they are because of this particular alternative timeline that's suddenly come into play he is a bit disorientated go on andrew erlington every week every <laughs> week um it's like he, he's got like a little tally he has to like make sure he says it at least once a week um, I'm, I'm sure there's a drinking game somewhere going on i mean i don't participate in it but i'm sure there is one somewhere cheers oh um, my god <laughs> i am um, so two quick things. One, I was going to say, did anybody else think that we were about to end up in the continuum? Like when he whisks Picard away and they end up in the the, vi the vineyard and he's like, oh, but it was harvest this week. Um, and the har and like the, the vineyard's looking barren and slightly sad looking. Um, I thought we were going to go back to the um, the desert road, the analogy for the continuum that, that Q has historically used before in Voyager. Um, but speaking of people who have a finger in all the dimensional pies, quite like that twist to the Borg Queen kind of concept, the idea that the Borg Queen is connected to the other Borg Queens in the other dimensions and stuff. I thought that was quite interesting. So that that also then doesn't uh, take out the, all the portrayals of the Borg Queen. So Alex Creek still exists in her timeline. Uh, was it Susanna Thompson as a Borg Queen in Voyager? She exists in that timeline, maybe. Right, so all these sort of things, they all still all exist because the, all these Borg Queens are, are still interacting across the timelines or are familiar across the timelines. Yeah, somebody's looking puzzled. Go on, Andrea, you go first. So I think her interactions with people were quite interesting. Um, she had quite a lot to say to, to Seven. She had quite a lot to say to Picard. Um, I found her interactions with Gerardi quite different to her interactions with other people. And I don't know if that's because she's just a little bit more intimidated by the Borg Queen in front of her, or there just seemed to be a bit of a, a sort of known smirk. And then there was that look between them when she plugged her into the ship and it was like, where's this going? I feel like this is going somewhere. Um, I, what you're going on there, I think, because the Borg Queen is familiar with both Seven and Picard and then now she can't really manipulate them right into whatever she wants to do so she she just gives them the facts Annika uh Anna Annie Ali Annika Hansen Annika Hansen 
um, proceed. Uh, she goes and tells her her timeline. She goes and tells sort of Picard's sort of timeline. But then with Gerati, she just turns around and gives this sort of thing about her not belonging. And she says it in such a way that Gerati has, has that little look in her uh, in her eyes, thinking what she's trying to say here, what she's trying to do here. Maybe some, that's why she's saying it like, in such a way that she can use that, the manipulation of Gerati later on. Go on, Andrew. I suppose what I didn't think of is, is when you look at sort of the other two people we're talking about there, she's the only person in that conversation who hasn't been part of the collective at some point. Um, oh, yeah. Which I didn't think of, um, but I've just sort of just occurred to me now. So maybe that's why it was different. And it's just a bit of a bit of a red heron I'm seeing there. Um, Lindsay? I did think the, the chat about... Um... The, the different dimensions and the different versions of the Borg, I think that could be an explanation for the version of the Borg that we see in at the end of episode one. So that's a, a different version of the Borg from a different reality stepping in because they are part of the the whatever, the the we need to do something about whatever has gone wrong, which would explain why they're so different and would also explain why they refer to him as Picard and not Locutus. Yes. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I just missed a line and there is another explanation for that. Andrea? So I suppose the theory you threw out there, which is a bit it's a bit wacky, is that obviously the Borg Queen's been plugged into that ship now. Like, whatever's going to go horribly wrong is going to go horribly wrong. Um, and actually, whatever ship has come through that rip in time is, it was, was sort of built on the foundations of whatever's happened there. Um, so that is that big ship being built sort of off the back of whatever it is, is that the beginning of the new collective when they've plugged her into that ship? Um, it's getting very timey wimey, and it? it's, it's starting to like. I know what I'm saying. I don't know if anyone else does, uh, but yeah, I'm wondering if this is kind of and they're going to go back in time um, to 2024. So is, is the Borg going to kind of come from there? And is that ship that's come through this rip in time? Is that like? Is that the ship that has Picard and, and everyone on now? I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm speculating wildly here, but and it's getting more and more convoluted the more times I try to explain it, but it does make sense in my head. Lindsay? I think we have to acknowledge that this whole series has kind of set itself out to be extremely timey-wimey, because mm -hmm. it's 2024, not the Bell Riots. Is that not when yes. DS9 yes. goes back to? So, A, not only is that really not very far away, <laughs> which is slightly terrifying, um, we're bound to start like there's going to be all sorts of stuff going on and I think it's quite interesting that there's been some chat about the lack of DS9 character crossover in any series so far so it'll be interesting to see if we get something uh, apart, from odd, apart from the odd mention of General Jake Sisko so, as some people have said <laughs> General Sisko of some description yeah um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting. As I would, I, I'm kind of assuming that some of that's got to be to do with cast availability, because I don't think that anybody's ever sat down and been like, oh, we don't care about DS9 crew, like we don't want to involve any of them. I think it's maybe just um, the right opportunities and the right the right cast members being free have maybe not kind of coincided. But maybe somebody knows more about that than me. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think, has actually any of the uh, DS9 crew appeared on any of them, even no. Lower Decks? No, which all just seems a bit strange. Odo appeared uh, in a thing. Odo, Odo oh, was referenced. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in a, in a thing that we can't mention. In a thing, what we're not talking about. Um, yeah. But that's been about it, I think. Um, so, yeah, just a bit a bit odd. A bit odd. 
but we'll see. Um, so maybe we'll see something there. But yeah, so anyway, Timey Wimey is definitely going to be a thing this series. Who do we think is the, what is the name of this? The, the reference to somebody or something. Um, so there's like, so I went through, like when we realised there was a prisoner, I was like, right, the prisoner either has to be like Soji or it has to be. Like, I was like, who could the prisoner be? And then obviously it was a board queen. Um, but where is the thing? You're going through yeah, they, all your WhatsApp now, Toya. I am. I'm, I'm literally scrolling through my WhatsApp history. Um, I did. I made lots of jokes about Picard's acting classes with Bev having paid off. <laughs> so like, clearly all that time Beverly was trying to get him involved with playing Shakespeare on the Enterprise is great because he's now really good at playing an evil version of himself. Um, continue your conversation. There, there was a reference to a particular character that they were going to need to come across. The Watcher. The Watcher. There we go. Who do we think the Watcher is? Guinan. I was about to say, I, I, Guinan was mo the obvious one to me, but there was lots of chat about potential alternatives. But we've got, he's just got to be there. We've got to have more yeah, Guinan. Guinan's probably, you know, Guinan's thousands of thousands. Is she immortal? Or is she just there? Uh, just, I think uh, they just live a really long time. So I have a feeling she's probably on Earth in 2024. Whether she's in a slimline version, Probably of that timeline, or in the more, uh, how do I say this, larger version that she's right now, right? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> so so uh, okay, so what you're really saying is whether they're going to age her down to look like she did <laughs> in in. We don't talk. We didn't. We didn't talk about the fact that Brent Spiner is not quite as slim as he was back then, did we? Anyway. Um, so yeah, I think whether they age her down, I don't think they will. I think they'll work around it. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, and again, it's a different timeline. Who knows? Like, you know, Andrea. It would seem like a bit of a, a shame, I think, to to sort of bring her back to have a like little bit part in a bar for a chat. Um, so you would hope she's going to have some sort of plot role. Um, I've seen some other suggestions. Um, I think it, it's been suggested that it's kind of the Vulcans watching us to see if we're suitable for for first contact. Um, I've seen that theory floating around. Um, I've seen that someone, someone sort of suggesting that all oh, the watchers queue and it's like book queues everywhere. So that that didn't quite make sense to me. I've got to be honest, but like there's unless it's there. a, a version of Q that stuck in 2024, and maybe this was a different version of Q that we saw. Who knows? Um, so, so I think there's, I think there's, there's sort of, there's a few kind of different theories floating around. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it would be an odd choice to to bring sort of Guinan back for a not to have a, but as somebody else time travelled. That's the other thing. It is the, does the Watcher need to have been alive then, or is it somebody who's who's gone back? Well, we don't know. We haven't seen Soji, have we? Soji, uh, I believe it's is not in this series as much as uh because this our synthetic storyline i think goes up to the point of uh the harvey clowns the them clowns that, that you've got being i think that's where it goes up to so it doesn't go into the the further development of them into lifelike uh, clowns so i think the actress is not as in as much this series as she was last year but her father is did you know who her father is Yes, I saw this. I don't know until, until I found out. So go on then, explain it, Lings. Uh, so I think his name is Jojo Briones, um, and he plays uh, Seven's husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
<laughs> so I'm sure Andrea has some feelings on we did we kind of skipped over this. Let's talk about Seven and her role what? of like boss bitch. Like seriously, like what was he about? Like that well, I think he was the magistrate they were calling him. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. like bossy little guy, like clearly punching way above his weight, um, but kind of like sort of ushering her around. And I'm like, hang on a minute, she's the president. So she's the one with the power, but why on earth would she be married to him? Like, listen to him, like, squawking on, kind of, like, telling her what to do. Like, and, like, obviously for for his, like, final act in the episode, like, he needs to suffer. Like, you know, no disrespect to the actor, but, like, that character needs to suffer. <laughs> I want him to be, like, be, like, mangled and, like, yeah. He's a great dog. He was really annoying. Even if I had a little niggle about the episode, it was like how irritating I found him. Like in Dia repeatedly. It's like did, uh, did you see the wedding photos that they'd got on the on the mantelpiece or on the desk? Was he now, standing on the box? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But the thing was, right, they looked like they'd only been shot like the week before. Which I assume so, but these pair must have been together for a number of years and they would have been a lot younger when their photos were taken, but they just didn't seem to be like from the week before. It just did not look right. Go on, Andrea. Is it also, if she's the president and he's sitting in this role of magistrate, is it those sort of power relationships as well? Um, Because they didn't seem to particularly like each other and I know she wasn't who she would have been, but like he didn't seem surprised by the fact that she didn't really seem to like him very much. So, you know, they they didn't seem they didn't seem close. Um, We'll put it that Mm. way. So you kind of wonder, is it like you've got a bit of power? I've got some power. Let's like be a power couple and survive, because I imagine it's quite a dog eat dog kind of society so you wonder if there's a little bit of that at play but yeah i'm gonna struggle to forgive him for um shooting elmer for shooting people <laughs> shot one person like, i think elmer that's it then owner gets taken off the leash and just goes absolutely batshit ninja warrior none on them which i kind of love the, the thing when he goes after he's done that right he says some sort of quip and uh, Raffi says something, and she the way she says it, it's like a proud mom. He's just gone and killed four blokes, four people. Yeah, four but stops. he did it on command. Like he waited yeah, he to be told that he was allowed to. It's just, I'm just thinking that's sort of. And I know she's now a mother-like figure to him, mother-like figure, and uh, he's so she's looking out for him, making sure he's all right because he's a bit naive uh, with his candor and stuff. But the way. I'd, I'd still be thinking, looking at it, thinking he's just killed four blokes, right? Mark Childers just killed four blokes in front of all the, you know. Yeah, but like to save them. <laughs> like I know that lethal force is not really a thing that we support, but you know, <laughs> if this was but, the MU, like they're gonna get killed anyway because that's what happens. Like you know, dudes, <laughs> go ahead, Andrea. I, I do think people were kind of conveniently placed to find each other in a, a very yes. sort of quick and expedient like way for the plot and narrative to move forward. Um, it's not like any of them like found themselves in the alternative universe, like working in a shop or something. You know, there was no one like, <laughs> oh, working Greg's. <laughs> like, you know, it were like, they all had like fairly like significant like 
rules in this society um and it would have i don't know i think it would have been quite interesting just to throw someone in as just like with a really <laughs> random regular job um which made it much more difficult to find them but i think you needed to move that storyline on fast so i can kind of see the sense in you know having the president a general like some kind of senior commander who captures tourists and one's a tourist so that makes it even easier to find them um but yeah, it did seem super convenient, like that they were all in like top jobs, because <laughs> they're top of people, obviously. But that's it. Like for me, if it's an alternate universe, like somebody should have fallen down a hill and like given themselves a traumatic brain injury at a young age, and therefore not ended up in a, like a position of authority. However, you know, um, the, what I was going to say is that I. When I was watching this, I, I I felt exactly the same thing. I was like, if they're all going to end up together by the end of the episode, I'm going to feel like this is really, like, they've put all this effort in and they've just thrown it away. And I was like, the only way this works is if what we are going to get is effectively, sta- not quite standalones, but if we are going to get, like, episodic kind of installs in these different kind of time periods throughout this, maybe. Like, I think if that becomes the trend, so that next week we're in 2024 or whatever, and we get an, an episode there and then they fix that only for something to go wrong elsewhere so they have to go do a thing like that might work but otherwise yeah it felt like there was a lot of effort put in for a really quick like kind of grab and dash I guess yeah I, I understand what you're saying but I do like they need to keep, keep putting them in peril this is a 10 episode series they've got to keep putting them in peril why do they have to keep putting them in peril well then they can't like, oh, solve everything like we do, but like I think that's one of the things that's really interesting given we've been talking about with Discovery, like pacing and with the whole, like when well, you can't be at 99 all the time, but actually is that what we want? Do we want 99 all the time? Like life or death peril every week? Maybe, maybe. Andrea? I think one of the things that Picard's done quite well, and I think it's only really sort of hit us because we're on sort of, what is this, the 12th episode of Picard? Um it has been quite pacey and there's an awful lot happened in those 12 episodes. Um, but I do feel like they've found that space within that for us to get to know characters. Um, and as I say, I, I think this week in particular, I think I've realised how much I've kind of, I've warmed to the newer characters now and, and they're part of that. And I kind of, I have an idea about how they're going to react to things and, and all that's different or they're not going to like that. And I, I feel like I know them. So I don't feel they've totally neglected that sort of development. Um, I, I think they've done a good job of weaving that in. Well, it's a smaller cast in Discovery by like a significant majority. Like if you look at our core characters, you've got Picard 7, Soji, maybe not really. Rafi, Elnor, Girati, and um, what's his face? Rios. Rios, which is actually about the same as you would have had in the standard series. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's why it's working better. So despite the fact they've still only got, you know, I think. There's about six main characters and they can focus on those six main characters, whether they're in alternate timeline, their own time or whatever. They haven't got too many characters to be able to keep going in this house. Or, so you'll have Q coming in, Guyan and probably coming in. Laris, maybe. Laris later on. Laris, do you oh, no, she's dead that, now. And there's, there's no, but maybe... do you think he's dead? She's dead because they wouldn't have put La- uh, Orla Brady, Arthur Fielding, into the main cast. 
right as uh, a regular in the credits in the first episode if she's not coming back as a main member as something to do with the Romulans so I have a feeling she's probably not being killed because Harvey says to her Picard uh, that he would be able to show uh, have a look to see if her, her body and her husband's body was put up at the gates of Romula, Romulus uh, so you'd be able to because you like what seeing these sort of things and he says no so if they can't find if he if he didn't search for it, he might not have found that the, the picture of the bodies. But they're now but, just about to go back in time, like another however many years. So she's not going to be kicking around in 2024, is she? Unless she's the Watcher. Maybe the Romulans are the Watchers. We all know I they love spying. I, I, Romulans, uh, Romulans have the same sort of uh, age uh, expectancy as uh, humans. Or are no. they, do no, they like live longer? Don't they? They're Vulcan, like so they're older. But they're not that old. Oh, but, so yeah. that, that might not be there. She might not be there in 2024 then. But I find it interesting if she's still in the main credits, and that makes it much more likely to me that there's going to be some kind of either alternative timeline tra- uh, time travel going on, or a version of Laris. Like it'll be a great great grandmother or somebody kicking around on Earth in 2024 because Star Trek loves a great great grandparent that looks exactly like the character in question. <laughs> well, we're not talking about Millennium Gate. I hate that episode so much. I think like, we should talk about it. <laughs> Kate Mulgrew plays her, her her long lost relative in Chicago or somewhere random. In like it, it it for the Millennium, it is nonsense. Do not like it. Anyway, a Voyager episode that you do not like. Wow, there are several of them. That one is a particular bugbear of mine, though. I just don't get the point of it. Anyway. Anyway. Did you, introducing the new the characters in their new settings, did you like the way that they seemed to uh, bring, uh, bring up, they all came with their memories fully intact or anything? So, like, uh, as this uh, Annika, Annie, Seven, well, when she wakes up, you do see... They partially obscured her face, so for about a good 30, 45 seconds, she's walking around with things just blocking off where her implant would be. So you're just thinking that she's just going to wake up as a Borg, uh, as part Borg in this alternate timeline, and then all of a sudden you see see her look in the mirror and it's not there, and then the wedding ring. Go on, Lins. Which would totally work if they hadn't had a load of images of her in all of the publicity and in all of the trailers yeah. showing her without like I think that and that's an issue like I know we the BBC gets a lot of stick for not being able to hide anything but actually Star Trek gives away quite a lot of this stuff too like we knew Q was coming we knew we were getting seven without any implants yeah the the other introductions uh, as uh, Elder as a rebel and Rafi is the chief of security and their little scene where she rescues him again when I, I sort of knew immediately when the chief, uh, the security woman, turns up. I knew immediately that was going to be roughly. But I also thought to me, I thought maybe not all of them had, uh, had had their memories intact. And I think that she would have been the one with her memories uh, still uh, uh, from the alternate timeline instead of her original memories. Uh, did anybody think that any of the characters would have just turned up without any memories? I think it's a bit of a it's either one character remembers and no one else does or one character doesn't remember I, I think I don't know I, I I think you would find it quite difficult to kind of 
get that to make sense, I think. I think you could have maybe one person who's still confused or, or one person who knows what's happening and needs to convince everybody else. Um, so what about the rest of the Stargazer crew or rest of the other crews? Because Raffi and uh, Elder were on a separate ship if they've been trapped. So why have, where's the rest of those those crew members? Uh, and they living with within this timeline, or are they all? Q, been... Q's just uh, selected his um, six selected his pawns for this particular game, I think. But that's what I think is really fascinating, and it always is with Q. It's like if Q just wanted to torture Picard, which it kind of feels like he does at the start of this episode. He's just like, "You need to see the road you haven't travelled. Uh, go do your thing." Like. If he didn't want Picard to be able to fix it, then he wouldn't give Picard a crew. Like the well, fact that he appears to have given Picard a crew implies that somewhere underneath whatever else is going on, Q wants him to solve it. Andrew, is Q so so? He's he's quite aggressive, isn't he? And he he's very very dark. Is it is it just because these he needs Picard to fix this because it's actually affecting him? It's not just him having a game with these these sort of puppets and and seeing what the humans do in the situation. Is it because those stakes are are bigger that he he sort of given him the tools to fix it because he needs him to fix it and he's given him a slap as if to say like get your shit together because I need you to do this. Do we think the Confederacy goes after the Q Continuum successfully? Because I don't know how they are so good at this, but they appear to be very good at defeating some quite powerful species, given they appear to have wiped out the Borg um, and various other people. Like, is that it? Like, does, does humanity somehow become so impressively successfully aggressive that they are a threat to the Q? I don't know. My, because Q, Q can manipulate reality and um, travel backwards and forwards in time. If anything affects them uh, to that sort of degree, degree where they're actually going to be uh, in dire peril, then they can pr- possibly just go back in time and fix it themselves. So I just don't know what Q's position in this is. Is it because his favourite species, his favourite human, is being is just about to be killed, and he just wants to give him a one less hurrah and go? Look, we'll we'll see if you can. Uh, uh, try and solve this um, this puzzle, right, and get back to where you uh, where you belong in your proper timelines. Uh, but the the reason that he's also seen slightly off key is another thing that might be the reason why uh, he hasn't done. Yeah, he isn't giving Picard all the pawns to be able to help him. He's just giving him a select few, which is the five or six members that he uh, needs. But he only ever would have had his crew. Like, I think, like, whenever this kind of stuff happens, like, you, you never get, oh, and the entire Federation wakes up. Like, anybody who was also a member of the Federation wakes up as part of the Confederacy and goes, oh, no, that was a bad idea. Because then you could just have a coup and it would all be over. Anyway. Um, uh, has anybody got anything else to want to say, Andrea? I feel it would be remiss of us not to mention Annika Seven Shots. Um, I would I would quite like to go out on that that drinking expedition and see what happens. Um, I think Jerry Ryan has done some fantastic turns just with expressions, um, and I think it's quite interesting out in those kind of high stakes, high stress situations. You see those more Borg like characteristics coming to the surface. I think that was really good. Um, I like the the totalitarian visuals. I think they were quite well done. Um, 
and I always kind of like I think it, uh, about sort of cinema and those types of societies and it always looks like the 80s to me and I think you know and there was like the 80s bad future still looked like the 80s um and there was just a little bit of that it was just you know where they were given the speeches and the crowd and stuff it was a bit running man it was like I, I quite I quite liked and lots of red it, it definitely felt like like if you do a dystopian future like do it almost 80s style um so I, I did quite like that um I think that might be my I think that might be my waffle complete Lind? Um, yeah, so a couple of things. At various points, there was a couple of moments where I was like, oh, this is one of those kind of like when they've obviously done something and then post facto it becomes slightly awkward because the world around them has changed. So like both air raid silence and there was a reference to the gates of Romulus, which just makes me think of the gates of Kiev or Kiev. Um, and both of those just felt a little bit kind of like jarring. Not anything that anybody could do about it, but just one of those things where you're like, oh, oh, okay. Maybe wouldn't have, you maybe wouldn't have written that line today, but that's okay. Um, I did think at one point I was like, really? When you wake up and you're clearly this disoriented, to somebody should call a doctor, and that would have been great because we could have maybe even seen Evil Beverly or Evil EMH, which is always fun, um, or some other random evil doctor because they don't want to use either of these exciting people. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, it's, it's always the thing. There's a sneaky magic tech candle in Seven Scene, which I thought was really interesting. Like when she's walking around her bedroom, there's like a sneaky magic tech candle that comes on. I quite like that. Um, the equation that she scrolls on the mirror is, I think it's called Euler's equation or Euler's equation, which is apparently like the most perfect thing ever, which would make sense because, you know, um, it's whole the obsession with the Omega particle and general Borg perfection uh, comes in. Um, her outfit is like peak boss bitch, but she has some really ugly shoes on. It always makes me sad when like future shoes are ugly. Mm. Um, so many name checks in this episode. So many name checks. Um, I thought it was really interesting when like the, there was a reference to like um, President Hansen and somebody clocked on really quickly that that was seven. Which, given that she doesn't really go by, Annika Hansen was like, it was a really quick kind of like, oh, well, clearly, clearly President Hansen's going to be seven. Like, it was Rios who was just like, oh, I know exactly who that's going to be. And I'm like, do you though? Do you? There's only one Hansen in the entire galaxy. Um, I, I did write also that the D Day references are never going to die. <laughs> like, it's just going to go on. Okay, so here is an interesting point. So, the person that I was simultaneously watching with is Eurasian um, and grew up in Hong Kong. And apparently that shot of Okinawa is not Okinawa, it is Hong Kong. She's like, those buildings are so distinctive. There is no way that is not Hong Kong. I haven't actually checked this. Um, so I should I should go do some research. But she was utterly convinced that that was uh, a backdrop of Hong Kong, which seems super lazy. Like, guys, what were you doing? So if it is correct, that is a very poor form. Um, Did somebody write the name of a city down? And then went and looked at a picture of the city and thought it hasn't got enough skyscrapers and looks enough future enough. So we'll have to use somewhere with more skyscrapers and more future looking. So we'll just have to take a picture of somewhere else and put some extra lights on it. Like it feels like one of those moments where it's in the script, it's been recorded now, and the like the tech guys have to make the effects and it's like, yeah, this picture's not gonna cut it. Like this is lots of work. Let's find something that's less work. Or, yeah, you know, but... they took a, a background of Okinawa and then took some futuristic skyscrapers from Hong Kong and shoved them in. And that's what's confused her. 
but you know. Remember, this is like two hundred years in the future. So yeah, maybe, San Francisco still so looks like San Francisco. Yeah, but San Francisco might have got these sort of uh, things in place London where they're not allowed. London looks like London. Again, they had this, uh, you know, uh, this uh, keeping the uh, the old buildings in place because they don't want to protect them. Whereas Okinawa might be a case of, yep, we'll knock that down, we'll knock that down, we'll build up a brand new t- skyscraper. Yeah, we're going to face it all on 20th century Hong Kong. 21st century Hong Kong. Anyway, um, I, I should double. I should have double checked that before I said it, but she was utterly convinced. Um, I thought the phrase that gets used is merciful power. I was like, guys, there is nothing merciful about your power. You are a totalitarian state and you're xenophobic and it's awful. Um, but it, again, it's it's these things that, that do get pulled out. Um, at one point, I thought the Boar Queen had no limbs, which I thought was interesting, but she does, in fact, have arms. So that was slightly less exciting. Um, although she also has ports for every occasion. <laughs> I did I did like this near-naked shot that they got for the image for uh, what should we call it. I don't know why, but it just... I think we're hands over her breast or something like that. I was thinking, is that uh, claws or hands or something? Just to cover her... Uh, the big what near naked show is this? The, the, if you look where she's been pulled out of the uh, the the, uh, the the cell thing, and Gerati uh, standing there just over his shoulder, there's a, a picture of her without a, a black top on. Am I the only one that saw this? <laughs> yes, you are. It's a product of your fevered imagination. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. Maybe. I am willing to be wrong. <laughs> well, to be fair, we've we've seen the Borg Queen sans because it, it's, it's a cybernetic body. Like we've seen her without it before. She has like a spinal column that flicks around like a snake and is kind of freaky. Yeah. But, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything now. I, I don't know. I, I, just, I'm going to need to rewatch this. Yeah. I think I do. To be honest, I feel like I don't remember. Have I just blanked that out, or did that not happen, or? Yeah, me too. Um, I think there's some really excellent music cues again in this episode. I think like they've used music so cleverly here. I think it's great. Um, I quite like Rios being like, time travel is not a way to make me feel better when they all arrive on his ship with the Borg Queen, uh, who does have ports for every occasion, so she can just be plugged in wherever. Um, which I think is interesting. Um, and I just thought the ending was amazing. Like I'm so, I'm like, I'm super excited to see what happens next. And I think that's all that we can be excited about. Andrea. I feel like I'm not the only person who was watching and thinking plugging the Borg Queen into your ship is probably not a good idea. And I know you're between a rock and a hard place and you haven't got much choice, but this is not going to end well, I felt was the uh, the general vibe from that. Well, there's there's a really interesting idea about like that an enemy being part of the solution, like this idea that they need somebody to help them navigate the time travel. Like, I don't know how... So Sp- Spock appears to have been more intelligent than every other Vulcan in the history of Vulcans ever, because Spock could do the work, but no other Vulcan could, clearly. Um, and Data has historically done it. I do like the reference to, oh, there are ways to time travel. We've done it before. I was like, yes, yes, you have. They're like, oh, we just need to slingshot around the sun. It'll be fine. Well, it was funny because like, it was obviously like time travel was coming and you sit and watching it with somebody who probably isn't as familiar with Star Trek. It's like, how do they time travel? It's like, well, they've been around the sun before. And before I'd even finished my sentence, they were explaining what they'd done historically in Star Trek. So I was like, I'll just shut up because they're going to do this for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I think that's quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's going to go badly. But like, I, I quite like this idea of the fact that you need to work with people to solve the bigger issue, and then deal I, with the I, fact that the Borg are still going to be an issue. 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's kind of that situation, isn't it, really? Well, at this point, it clearly is, because I think they'd all agree that this version of reality is not one they particularly like. Like, can we go back to a version of reality where the Borg were more of a threat? Because I was like, because when the, like, the Borg had been exterminated, I was like, well, it's not all bad then, really, is it? Like, you know, they're awful. Because as per our previous discussion, the Borg can't exist without, like, evil, like, killing of people to make them Borg. Um, but yes, clearly everything else is awful, awful, um, and generally rubbish. Um, I've got a bit quiet because I needed to find this image, and I've sent it to you ladies now. So if you see the image, it's there. So just for the, um, it's just for us on the, uh, the thing. Oh my god! Some like weird background artist has had a little moment, haven't they? Yeah. Actually, yeah, they are definitely bog titties. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's yeah, a so choice. I'm including this in the episode, actually, now I've decided. So I wasn't wrong then, I did see it. I, I stand corrected and humbled and, yeah. Yeah, that's slightly... somebody got overexcited and I can't believe that got through all the various checks. It's, it's... It's, if you notice all them scenes set in that uh, room, it's there in the background. It's there, all of them. Right, because I've just, as says, I've just had a quick look and made sure I wasn't going mad. Um, oh, well, I might, I might, yeah, I'm not convinced by that. Maybe it's just the angle. Maybe like we just can't see like her um, thingy. A thingy, a thingy. <laughs> her corsets or whatever. But yeah, no, well, that, that, no it, she, it does look like either she's, she's got not, some kind of weird mechanical implants there, or yeah, her hands are over yeah. them. Yeah, she's not wearing anything there at all. But she hasn't got now. any body to wear anything over. She oh, has. She, what's the worst she wearing the corset when she's but now but she did she ain't got because it's a cybernetic thing. So like we've seen, is it first contact or one of the Voyager episodes where like the clamps all come off? It's first contact. Oh, the yes, clamps yes. come off and they like lift her up and she's literally just shoulders and decolletage. Yeah, like there is no yeah. cleavage. Yeah, you're right. Or that version of her was no cleavage, which appears to be this version, I think, we're supposed to buy in. Like, that is the first contact queen. Um, okay, so that that's uh, the end of that conversation, because I don't, I've now proved Andrew myself correct. Andrew having a little melt in the I'll, corner. I'll, I'll prove myself correct. <laughs> is there any more for any more before I go into my little bits? No, that's what I think is everything I have to say. Cool. Right, and so the bits I really, really liked is the fact that Q actually hits Picard, gives him a good old whack, and there's blood coming from his nose for a, a few scenes afterwards as well before he wipes it away. And that's I don't think Q's ever hit Picard. He's emotionally abused him, but I don't think he's ever physically abused him. And that was interesting. I did like the the skulls in their trophy cases or uh, plinths. Uh, which is a nice little touch and shows how sadistic Picard in this universe, um, in this alternate timeline, is that he likes to keep trophies of the people he's killed, uh, of uh, the, the, the the important people he's killed. There's slaves. Are they Romulan slaves and Vulcan slaves, or are they just Romulan slaves? Because I, I weren't sure of the difference. I'm assuming they're Romulan slaves. Uh, and the, the cower before Picard, the way he does it, the way he comes into the room. Uh, the speeches that he had, because a safe galaxy is a human galaxy, it's just, uh, you can see how evil this person has been in the past. Go on, Lindsay. Can we, can we have a little chat about the, the General Haig moment he has? 
he all like he it's the gesture as much as anything yeah. it's the you we need you to help us like it, it's the your country needs you yeah. he, like he does that and i think that's quite interesting because i think certainly in the uk like the general hague posters like your country needs you is not seen as a particularly kind of imperialistic propaganda thing it's just it's it, it was a a genuine your country needs you to, to come and do a thing as opposed to a, a conspiratorial nonsense but yeah it felt very general hague I think it's General Haig. I could be talking utter nonsense. <laughs> uh, the the still the Federation is still the Federation, the Confederation is still uh, in the process of fighting Vulcan. So that's the only bollocks of it. The only front that they haven't had, the race that they haven't actually uh, conquered because there's still a, a war going on there. There is rebellion on Earth as it is because even with uh, Romulans walking around on their planet. Uh, instead of being captured or killed or in slavery, there actually be there's a rebellion going on. Um, the the Boar Queen with some of her sayings, reality has been split, time has been broken. Uh, it's just these little sayings that she's coming out with, and it's in, she knows a lot more what's what's going on. Maybe because she's now separated from the rest of the Borg, and she can't communicate with alternate timelines as much as she used to. Uh, she doesn't know exactly what is going on, but now being plugged into Rios's ship, the La, La, La Serena, uh, maybe she will then be able to get more information and help the crew to be able to go further into destroying uh, this alternate timeline. I like uh, uh, alternate Picard's, uh, he keeps getting <clears throat> uh, titles, and the one that he wants after killing the Borg Queen live on stage is he wants to be called the Borg Slayer. It's just a, a nice little touch. Um, that takes us right back to, to the Mirror Universe, though, and Discovery and the 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 the, uh, the, um, the Empress of or whatever it is she's called. Love a good title. If you're going to be in charge of evil things, you get titles. It's like a thing. The the other thing that uh, the Boar Queen says as well is the forest and primary, and this nobody it's something that you might say which within the Star Trek universe. But if you go outside the Star Trek universe, one of the writers for this story is Terry Matsalis, and he was the showrunner for Twelve Monkeys. And in Twelve Monkeys, the, one of the things that they kept seeing visions of was the forest and primary. So maybe he's just used one of his little light, couple of his little things that he had for uh, 12 monkeys and he stuck them into this uh, episode, which is uh, something else a lot. And I think that's the end of my notes. Right, so we'll go on to, oh, just, we have a hand. Just just, just one little plot point. Um, I think the poster Lindsay's talking about is Lord Kitchener. Yes. It's Lord Kitchener. Thank Lord you. Kitchener. I knew it was a thing. Before before any listeners um, write in points of view style, I thought I would just... Today today is a lesson in why Lindsay should do her research before she starts talking. <laughs> and not rely on WhatsApp notes. To be fair, I made the Hague reference and it didn't get called out in, in, in WhatsApp. So yeah, I'm going to blame Helen on that one. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, sorry, Helen. We, we, you know. Sorry, she won't hear this, it's fine. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, should we have our lights out of five? How many lights you see? There are four lights! I asked how many lights you see. And we shall go with Lindsay since she's just unmuted herself. 
Well, thanks. Um, I am going to say 4.5. I really enjoyed this. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. Yeah. Okay, Andrea. Um, I'm going 4.75. Uh, it's clo It's really close to a five. Um, do you know what? Sorry, I'm giving it a five. No! I'm giving it a five. No. I'm doing it. Do you know why I'm saying no? Why? Last week you said five, right? Lights out of five, and Lindsay said you got to put a klaxon in, right? And I put a klaxon in. I don't got complaints for putting the klaxon in because apparently I put it in too loud. <laughs> just put a really quiet. We'll just put a really quiet. No, I can't. I promised all these people they had to give me for putting a loud klaxon because one of them was driving. I think Dave was driving, and somebody else just got startled uh, and burnt themselves on an iron. I think. Uh, so yeah. So. So what I'm we're really saying is that Suki needs to look at the sound waves of the thing he's editing before he edits I'm, I'm, it. Because I'm sure it probably would have been quite obvious. I'm playing BBC sound effects because I swear I got it from it. I just think, oh dear. So I've got to, I've got to, I'm not putting the klaxon in. So okay. anybody that's going to be waiting for a klaxon is not going to happen. Right. So going on to my uh, right, writing for this, um, it's going to be 4.99. Because I don't want to put five because I didn't want to put a klaxon in. So because it was a really excellent episode, I enjoyed all the references. Uh, the characters were great in this. The way they interacted with each other were brilliant. The the whole confederation um, scenario that's coming to play is great. And John Delancey playing a slightly unhinged version of Q uh, was brilliant as well. So yeah, 4.99. Uh, so we go straight on to our feedback. Now we come back with our little uh, feedback section, and when I say little, I mean quite a lot, which we're very, very grateful for. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, so we'll start off with Andrea. So we've got the Funniest Frontier podcast. It said this is a great episode. I can't wait for next week. Totally agree. <laughs> I think we're all in that boat, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, echo. Echo. Echo? No. Um, no. So I've got uh, Tom Turlow. Uh, episode two in the pace hasn't let up. What a refreshing change the series has made for, uh, compared to with its sister show, Discovery. Nice to see Q back, and I'm curious to find out what's wrong with him. Nice to get the Scooby gang together and see what happens next. I'm curious to see what role the Borg Queen will have, although it's a shame they couldn't get Alice Creech, the actress from First Contact, to come back and reprise a role, even though that queen died in that film. And I hope they don't linger too long before time jumping. So much pacier, fun and entertaining than Discovery. I can't wait to see them go back to the 21st century. Picard Series 1 was a curious bird with odd changes in tone and characterisation, but it was always very watchable. Hopefully Series 2 will be even better. Four lights out of five. So um, we've got Sarah, and that's from our little uh, spin-off podcast, uh, which is covering uh, Prodigy. They've taken a little break at the moment, so get well st soon, Steve. Uh, poor lad. Uh, so they, she's put, I wasn't sure to start with this, as alternate timelines can be a bit tedious, but I love the character ensemble, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. John Delancey was terrifying yet captivating his cue, and I appreciated Picard's fragility. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. 
Okay, so I've got Ghastly Librarian um, from Twitter who says, this season it's shaping up to be another winner. Pearson is excellent and my worries that this episode would rush through the alternate timeline bits were unfounded. I still have questions, of course, but they covered the necessary bases and set up the time travel without too much hand-wavy obfuscation. I can't say that word. Obfuscation. Yeah, I can't say that word. Um, So it's working for me so far. I do hope Guinan is Picard's contact in the 21st century. She needs more screen time. Excellent episode. Four out of five last-minute escapes from me. Can we take a momentary pause there while I talk about the fact that so we know that uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Stewart had a chat randomly on air in, during an interview after season one where he was like, you should come back. And she was like, I really want to come back. I'm just slightly concerned that they like elbowed her into episode one because they'd already written the series. <laughs> However, hopefully we're going to see more Guinan and it will be delightful. Um, so I have uh, Blue Cat. Uh, her feedback. Uh, so that's uh, Marjamea on Twitter. I really expected to hate this entry, but found it entertaining despite the Trump rally overtones. I wish Seven's husband had been someone we'd seen previously. He came out of left field. It always strikes me as illogical that in such a controlled society, there wouldn't be cameras everywhere watching you, but that would nullify the whole episode. Starfleet people are so smart. They figured out in just minutes what's going on and how to resolve it. At least we saw Seven's process of getting to the conclusion that she was in another reality. A facile ticking clock plot, quickly resolved by Gerati's excellent skills as apparently a jack of all trades. I thought she was a robotic specialist, but here she is doing everything and saving the day. I loved her Tilly moments though. Um, what the hell is Q doing? Much speculation is rampant. Uh, we've got Paul at Paul Gregory and he's poor. Agnes Gerati and the Boar Queen have some connection. Other than they both spend a lot of time legless. <laughs> Q named uh, Q name checked uh, yesterday's Enterprise and I think in a mirror darkly probably more there's a lot going on love it cheers Paul okay so I've got Dave from the Doctor Who show who uh, says 50 minutes of action and fan service and I'm okay with that especially pleased for some quality DS9 references for the most part the cast did a great job learning about the horror of their alternate lives and the world felt real I'm engaged in the plot, continue asking myself questions and trying to work out where the story is going. Delancey was excellent. Perhaps more than anyone in Picard, he's done the best job of picking up his character effortlessly. One big big weakness for me was Agnes Girati. Fresh from waving away cold-blooded murder, this episode she was wandering around like she'd stumbled in from a different show and I found her humour totally out of whack with everything else and rolled my eyes a couple of times. I'm a little worried about the likelihood they're going back to 2024 as A, I don't watch Trek for present day sentence, and B, I worry the show will use that to cross the line from message which Trek does so well to preachy. Hopefully they'll lean into the world DS9 created in past tense with the Bell Riots, a great example of how setting something setting something 20 something years in the future can allow a message much more effective than two years. I'm enjoying the show at 4.1 lights. Excellent. I've got uh, Jack. Hi, Jack. Um, so first, I really want uh, John Delancey at the, at the next DST. A few years ago, I met Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating there. I need to ask all three how they age without looking older. Fair. Can I just second that like 100% and I'll be at the front of the queue? Possibly being restrained by security, but yes, Jack, you need that. But I, I, like, if we're gonna add, there are various other Star Trek actors who need to be added to that panel. I think Gates McFadden also needs to be on that panel. People who don't age—it's mm. just not natural. 
Anyway, um, but seriously, references to Guldacat, Martok, Sarek, um, and Ben slash Jake or Jennifer Cisco, not to mention Q stating yesterday's Enterprise and through a mirror darkly. Given that Discovery loves Alice in Wonderland, it'll be a reference to it. But I love Star Trek so much. I'll credit it as an Enterprise reference. Spoilers, my hip hurts to the nth degree, but during this episode, those pains were just gone. Although towards the end of today's physio, it came back a lot. Uh, I'm pretty sure the smart cat on Dr. Jurati's computer is the Star Trek Picard version of uh, Badgie or Grudge. So in total, references to every Trek except the animated series. Seven is president. Picard is humanity's greatest hero. Uh, I immediately think these are natural roles for the characters and all the regular cast turn in uniformly incredible performances as ever. Although I have to note, Isa Briones was very notable by her absence. Yes, I quite agree to put her in this episode would have required crowbarring her in. However, if she's not in the 2024 LA plot, to me, it will be very much a big, what if Soji wasn't just a one scene cameo in season two? The very 1984-esque setting of this episode is very well realised and I'm regretful to a degree it won't be further explored if they're going back 477 years in time. To the exact year, TNG says Ireland reunifies. I really hope there's a reference to this. Also, can't ignore how it depicts the ultra-fascist or how the ultra-fascist Earth is shown. It's a definite warning against embracing nationalistic views over IDIC, so very, very Star Trek. I could go on about this one facet, but in the interest of not making this a day-long podcast, I won't. Overall, a very strong episode, and it managed to balance fan service with all the references so they exist but don't interfere with the story. A firm 4.7 Miles O'Brien's out of 5. Although the mystery of, will the Borg really join the Federation, is a bit undermined by a flash-forward in Lower Decks having a Borg child in a Federation nursery. How the Watcher isn't Q or Guinan is beyond me. Also, I want to applaud you for Trek for Ukraine. All the all the excellent on a very excellent show. Oh, thanks, Jack. Cheers, Jack. I might almost forgive you for that insanely long piece of feedback. <laughs> okay, I think that's all our feedback for this episode. Uh, so all that leaves is for us to say goodbye. So on behalf of me, Lindsay and Andrea, it's ta-da! Bye. Bye. Don't forget to check out our other episode on Discovery, Season 4, Episode 12. See, I knew we should have taken presenting duties over. (laughs) All right, I'll leave that in.